Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. In the primaries, 550,000 votes were disallowed in the presidential primaries because they didn't comply with requirements. How many have been disallowed in the presidential election where more people voted? Did all of a sudden everybody get really sharp about the way they handed in their ballots? I don't think so. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Welcome to another Conspiracy Unlimited Plus episode for premium subscribers. On this installment, the continuing drama surrounding the recent U.S. election, which is not over. Never mind what the mainstream media is saying. Until the 50 states certify the election, there is no president-elect Biden. There are court challenges, vote audits, recounts, recanvassing, irregularities in Wayne County, Michigan, Clark County, Nevada, numerous counties in Georgia. There's likely a Supreme Court ruling coming in Pennsylvania. There is the continuing saga of Dominion voting systems and the tabulation software developed by Smartmatic. All of these things hanging over the outcome of the election. Could it change the entire outcome? Yes. Yes, it could. How likely? Well, it depends on who you talk to. Attorney John O'Connor is here with his perspective on all this. John is an experienced trial lawyer practicing law in San Francisco. He's tried cases in state and federal court throughout the country. He served as an assistant U.S. attorney in Northern California, representing the United States in both criminal and civil cases. Among his interesting assignments have been representing Coach Don Nelson in litigation with Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban and representing W. Mark Felt regarding the revelation of his identity as Watergate's deep throat. He is the author of Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. Hey, John, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you, my friend? Hey, Richard, good. I suppose good. Given the election uh, and the way it's being handled in the press, maybe not so good, but personally, I'm just fine. (laughs) All right. I want to begin with Dominion Voting, since there's a Canadian connection. We have the headquarters for Dominion right here in Toronto, not far from where I'm sitting. Incidentally, they share the same floor in the same building with Tides Canada, which has been notorious in their activism and their success in shutting down pipelines and so forth. And they're tied in with George Soros, which is kind of interesting that they would be there on the same floor here in Toronto. But I want to ask you about Dominion because here we have, it's a Canadian company, the software perhaps developed in Venezuela. We have servers sitting in either Germany or Barcelona. How does an election system have so many foreign connections and still be valid? Well, the problem there is uh, you don't have this auditable auditable, uh, system where you know that the inputs equal the outputs. That's one of the problems. And apparently there's not ballot imaging on the system, so you can go back and audit each ballot. And you can do that. If everybody uses paper ballots, you can still use a computer and somehow get the paper ballot into the computer. But so there's no audit 
that we can do using these systems. We have to trust people who say, and I'll quote, this is the most secure election in U.S. history, uh, which uh, makes me sick to my stomach. Um, but, uh, you know, unless my bottom line on Dominion is this, unless we, we know that the system can be rigged, and there are some interesting statistical analysis out there that suggests that it, there was some great irregularity. Uh, let me shortcut to my conclusion. My conclusion is, fortunately or unfortunately, you can look at every irregularity and you can say, well, if you allow vote harvesting and vote harvesting that can go over 60 days before the election and uh, you have a system that's overwhelmed with mail-in ballots anyway and there's no way that election officials can check in time, and in addition, there is an indication that in some states they didn't want to check. There's indications in Georgia that somehow inexplicably the governor and secretary of state agreed to check ballots in a way that requires an act of Congress to throw one out just about and makes it impossible for there to be oversight. So what you've got is you've got a situation here in which you have 40 percent of the people voting by mail-in ballot. Uh, you have no safeguards on those. And even the safeguards that are normally there uh, are such that the system overwhelms them because it's not we're not ready for it. So to me, every bad thing that you point to, every anomaly, every weirdness, can be explained by the fact that there are people out there getting thousands and maybe even hundreds of thousands of votes harvested in which it's not likely that any vote for Trump is going to be remain in that harvested batch. There's no requirement that you have to bring a Trump vote in. You say, I'm going to only bring in Biden votes. Is that okay? Well, you know, Maybe so. It's certainly you're not going to be able to prove anything. But so what happens is 98 percent of the harvested votes are for Biden and they can come in in big chunks. And so every place where it looks like, gee, this is an anomaly, this has to be fraud. The answer can be. I'm not saying it is, but it can be. Well, you know something? It's very possible that uh, a group came in of paid activists with 100,000 ballots that were all for Biden, and we, they brought them in in a cart, and it's perfectly okay under the system. And that's number one. And number two, they didn't have the personnel or the willingness or the desire to check them. So now here we, here we have it now. So there was a senator from California named S.I. Hayakawa, who was an eccentric guy, a very witty guy. Uh, but at the time that President Carter wanted to give away the Panama Canal, Senator S.I. Hayakawa from California objected. And he said, we can't give away the Panama Canal. We stole it fair and square, <laughs> So, which is a very witty comment. And that's almost the situation here that the defense is we stole it fair and square. Now, uh, but, but let me back up. You don't even think, I don't even think, unless you get a whistleblower, a true whistleblower, not just that somebody rigged this thing in Venezuela, but rigged in the United States, unless you get a whistleblower, uh, we know that the Smartmatic slash uh, Dominion system can be rigged. But unless we find real evidence that it was rigged, uh, uh, I, I think we're going down the wrong alley because you're going down an alley where you're going to get beat. And, and let me give you some statistics. We have 40% mail-in ballots. Normally, we have 20% absentee ballots, mainly absentee. 
which itself was always considered the place that fraud and errors can most likely occur is absentee, even though there are far more safeguards on absentee ballots than there are mail-in ballots. Okay, now we have 40% mail-in ballots, which includes absentees, but there's no incentive for anybody to go through the absentee process if you can just need to go through the mail-in process. So, so we're now talking about massive amounts of mail-in ballots. All right. What is the likelihood? Let's forget about fraud. Let's forget about vote harvesting. Let's talk about errors. Uh, I have in front of me uh, a September 30th, 2020 uh, article in Atlantic Magazine by a fine staff writer there named Derek Thompson. Atlantic is the curated intellectual left outlet. It's of all thought on the left. It's the most respected. In the article, he quotes uh, the voting person from Brookings Institution, the most in re re respected think tank on the left. And in this article, it talks about, and I'd have no reason to disbelieve these figures, I've read them elsewhere, in the primaries, 550,000 votes were disallowed in the presidential primaries because they didn't comply with requirements. How many have, have been disallowed in the presidential election where more people voted? Did all of a sudden everybody get uh, really sharp about the way they handed in their ballots? I don't think so. In Wisconsin alone, in the primaries, 23,000 ballots were disallowed for procedural irregularities. They're just thrown out. You know, nobody made any big deal about it. Nobody's arguing it. Both sides agreed, 23,000 bad ballots. The Democrats agreed. Well, that was then and this is now. Uh, in Philadelphia in 2019, in the municipal election, 6% of all ballots were, were uh, cast by naked ballot. That is to say, you didn't use two envelopes, you only had one, and it makes fraud much more rife and, and mistakes. So 6% of the ballots were disallowed because they're on naked ballots. Now, has anybody heard anybody say, you know something, maybe 6% of the Philadelphia ballots, if we go along with that, are probably erroneous and need to be tossed out in a place where Biden is getting 80, 90% of the vote. And likewise, in New York, just in the primaries alone, New York City, 84,000 ballots rejected as being procedurally off. Now, so here we have a presidential race in which we have this uh, occurring. And uh, obviously, there are errors. And there's enough room for error that a lot of these results could be overturned. Now, that would depend upon having a voting system, a, an election system where things were checked rigorously and so forth and so on. Well, we didn't have that. And we have every indication, as a matter of fact, that in a lot of these states, the key states, people were instructed not to do any of this checking, just to just push the things through. You could argue on the positive side that maybe this was just for administrative convenience. People were overwhelmed. On the negative side, you could say it's, it's meant to be fraudulent. But we do know that of the mail-in ballots, that three out of four of them are Democratic. That most of the errors occur among mail-in voters, among the young uh, voters, minority voters, first-time voters, who skew overwhelmingly Democratic. So I think without even pointing a finger of fraud at anybody, we can say there are serious, serious questions about the integrity of this election now that we've gone to the extreme of this mail-in voting, which Nancy Pelosi had 
unsuccessfully tried to press through in her very first uh, law that she was responsible for, H.R. 1, where she tried to change the voting laws. And then miraculously, COVID comes along and she gets all these changes for free, so to speak. So we have a system here in which there's absolutely no safeguards. You could call it, gee, we're fighting voter suppression. The other thing you could say is we're also doing voter inventing or we're getting rid of voter safeguards so that we are now protecting illegal ballots. Uh, We're not suppressing the things we should suppress. So we have this tremendous uh, statistical problem. Now, let, let me get to my real beef, Richard, that you and I have talked about before. Okay, before you do that, I just want to I just want to point out yeah. one thing, and just to kind of give some numbers to what you were saying about mail-in voting. What I've read is typically, uh, whether it's absentee ballots or those states that had mail-in voting, about three point five percent of ballots are rejected because of some error. In this election, it appears that only point three percent of ballots, uh, mail-in and absentee ballots, were rejected. So we're talking about a hundred-fold increase in the amount of ballots that were approved in this election. Right. And I will even amplify on your statistics by saying that I think those the 3.5% uh, is much higher in the urban areas. And it's much higher when you have concentrations of younger voters and so forth. The, the people that are more, more likely to make mistakes, that mean there's anything wrong with them. Uh, younger, uh, less educated voters in the urban areas were, are going to probably do more than 3.5%. And those all tend to skew Democratics. Yeah, now we have 0.3. And we have the media telling us, uh, you'll see quotes on the internet like, this is the most secure election in U.S. history. And uh, and so what you get is you get in the media people waving off, like people like you and me saying these things that are obvious, that need investigation and need uh, reporting to the Democratic public. We have the media covering and suggesting that anybody who raises these issues is just a complete fool, doesn't know what they're talking about, is just trumping up things, it's terrible, and so forth and so on. Uh, Rather than, now, what does that do? It's not like 72 million people are going to say, oh, Oh, well, now CBS News and NBC News, you're all telling us that these objections are all silly. Oh, I guess we just got to shut up and give in, huh? Even though we spent four years uh, over the Russian collusion investigation when the Democratic voters were convinced that the election was rigged, even though irrationally so. We'll investigate that for three and a half years, but if somebody pipes up with an obvious statistic like you did that's very factual and makes sense and at least demands further inquiry, now we're all told to just shut up, that we're all fools, uh, we're just making stuff up, go home, uh, accept things. If, if this supposedly is a way to heal the nation, uh, oh, this division in the country that's been so terrible. Well, you know something? I, I, I think there's a lot of healing needs to be done, but it, the healing is not necessarily on the right side of the political spectrum. Um, uh, the article I was talking about uh, said that in the event that all these votes that they expected to be rejected, in other words, you're, you're talking about 3.5%. The woman from the Brookings Institution thought there would be a real problem 
if Biden won by less than 4%, because she said there would be so many mail-in ballots that would be rejected. And then, of course, there would be riots in the street. And around here and in many cities, uh, places were boarded up specifically because if Trump had won this thing, uh, the left would have torn down the cities. Now, the right is not tearing down cities. They're not doing anything other than peacefully protesting and wanting a, an investigation. And so what we have here is a media that is exacerbating the problem, the problem of deep institutional distrust. This is an opportunity for all of us to sing Kumbaya and say, we're all going to investigate this. Even if Biden's declared the winner, let's all acknowledge that this mail-in voting was a farce. Let's talk about all the different issues we have here with it that perhaps now we can't prove. In many cases, we can't prove with exactitude what happened. We know it likely there was a uh, likely a lot more erroneous ballots. But rather than doing that, we now have the media telling us to shut up and go home. And those people who voted for Biden probably think, oh yeah, that's that's right. All these other people are idiots. And now that is that going to help? To quote Michelle Obama, a division, chaos hate. Uh, I'm trying to think there's something else she talked about. Who's doing that? Is the right doing that? Or is the media doing that? You talk about sowing distrust and division and chaos and hate. I think those are the four things. Right. Well, I saw a poll poll came out today. 52% of Republicans now believe that Trump was cheated or that there there was fraud. 52% of Republicans. So let's say doing some very rough math, that's roughly a quarter of the electorate now has no faith in the election system. An election, I mean, they talk about, you know, having a peaceful transition of power and so forth. That's part of the equation. The other part is you have to have the consent of the governed. You have to have the consent of the electorate. If 25% of Americans now believe there was widespread election fraud and the election was stolen from their candidate, that does not bode well for the union. You're absolutely right. And it does not bode well at all. And especially following a case in which 52% of the other party thought that, and were led to believe falsely, I think, about this Russian collusion, they got themselves a three-year investigation of, of their partisans going whole hog after the president and after the election. And, of course, they came up with nothing. But they got, they got an investigation. And now here we are where, like you say, half of the uh, quarter of the electorate, that's at least 35 million people, think there was fraud. And I'll tell you this, there's probably 35 million other people who think that it was run very poorly. And uh, with, without any safeguards, I think people would understand that. And, and I think a lot of honest Democrats would say the same thing, would know that this thing wasn't really refereed as it's supposed to be. This does not bode well. You just said it for the republic. Uh, the Washington Post masthead says democracy dies in darkness. And uh, I know Jeff Bezos thinks that's a great saying. I think it is, too. I think that's exactly what's happening right now. If you look at the Washington Post, they're trying to kill democracy in darkness. All the major networks are doing it now. And you know something? They're not even doing it 
intelligently. They're they're just really just just hiding things. And when they do report, it's somewhat um, comical. Uh, let me give you one example, Richard, if I can. Rudy Giuliani was in court yesterday making his case about Pennsylvania, which has got myriad problems. But the judge, who's an Obama guy, clearly wants to uh, uphold the vote. I think his name's Judge Brand. He asked the question, uh, well, do you use the rational basis test on this, Mr. Giuliani? And Giuliani said, well, the vote was irrational. He was roundly exoriated by the Democratic uh, experts for not understanding what the rational basis test is. Um, if you had good reporting, you would know that it was the judge who asked the stupid question, not Giuliani who gave the stupid answer. Uh, let me just t t talk, talk to your viewers about this for a second, because you're going to find this kind of silliness being talked about. When you're challenging the constitutionality of a law, there are several levels of scrutiny you can give to it. The most light scrutiny being rational basis. Is there any kind of basis for this law? If it is, then we're not going to overturn it. And then you have a sort of a middle ground sort of uh, basis. And then if you have racial discrimination, for example, they have what they call the compelling interest that the state cannot pay it, pass a law discriminating print on the basis of race, unless you have a compelling interest. Those are tests that you apply to laws. They're legal tests. They're constitutional tests. They are not factual tests. This is a factual matter. I'm a trial lawyer. When you go into court and you're trying to prove uh, whether someone is a negligent driver, the rational basis test, the compelling interest test have no, you never hear them. They're not in the courtroom. That, that's when you challenge a law, not a finding of fact. The question on a finding of fact is, what is the standard of proof that the judge or jury must follow in order to make a finding. So for example, if you sued me for negligently driving my car into yours, you would only need to meet the preponderance of evidence standard. That is to say the evidence of my carelessness outweighs the evidence of my safety. And it's a balancing test. On the other hand, if you wanted to charge me, or if the DA wanted to charge me with intentional homicide, if you got killed, he would have to prove that to the jury beyond a reasonable doubt. So that's a different standard, beyond a reasonable doubt. If you wanted to prove I did something fraudulently, there's a middle standard called clear and convincing proof. But my point is, in challenging the uh, events of an election, it's a factual matter. Factually, how do you prove it? Uh, I believe that if you apply the right test, the factual test, which may be preponderance of the evidence, I find by a preponderance of the evidence that there, there was an overcount of votes, or I find by preponderance of evidence that there were at least 100,000 ballots that were not properly reviewed for signature matching, for example. That's that's the sta that's a standard. I don't. I, they can argue whether my standard I just enunciated was the right one, or you have to have a higher standard of proof. But my point is, you have a report where everybody is scoffing at Giuliani because he didn't answer this erudite judge's erudite question, which happened to be so far off that the guy clearly is not a trial lawyer. He's clearly a guy that's probably a constitutional lawyer 
probably has never seen the inside of a courtroom before he became a judge. And so we have this ignorance. So Rudy, they're scoffing at Rudy Giuliani because it's almost like the judge is asking him a question, like you might as well be asking how many people are on Mars. The rational basis test has nothing to do with this. Right. Well, so so my I, point I, is, is the media is scoffing when they shouldn't be scoffing. And I think Giuliani's fine with the lower court basically refusing because he wants to take it to the Supreme Court. But I wanted to ask you about the other sort of legal challenges here. And there's there's one that has to do with equal protection. So, for example, the in-person voting, there seems to be a double uh, standard here. In-person voting, you have to show up with identification. They might check your signature. The same rules did not apply to the mail-in voting. Is there a legal case here to have votes thrown out based on the equal protection defense? Uh, Say that again. The equal protection would be what, Richard? I, th- I think I'm using the correct term. Oh, the invi- oh I see. The in-person voting versus the mailing. Right. Yeah. I don't know if it's equal protection so much as simply violating the law on well, – first of all, there's not, your, your point is well taken that we have a voting system now in which only a portion of the votes are actually being scrutinized by, elect- or by election officials or under the control of the election system. Forty percent of them are now Wild West votes with no scrutiny. Uh, so your point is well taken. One vote is really more scrutinized than the other. You're probably 5% more likely to get your vote thrown out if you're in person and you do something wrong and somebody's actually there to catch it and says, okay, no, 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 okay we're throwing this out. But I wouldn't even call that equal protection. I just call that, you don't even need to go that far. I think all you need to do is say the election officials didn't do their job under the law of checking signatures. And because they didn't, uh, as in Pennsylvania, there or there were not poll watchers around uh, and so forth, or there's evidence of systematic predating of ballots uh, when the Supreme Court has ordered that any late ballot not be considered, or at least is leaning that way, the United States Supreme Court. I just say, yeah, you throw that vote out. Uh, but but it, your point is well taken. It shouldn't be the case that voting the right way under the scrutiny of election officials, that vote is much more likely to be thrown out than somebody who uh, gives their vote to a vote harvester who fills it in, uh, signs his own name, uses his own handwriting to write in your name. That vote is not going to get thrown out, even though it should. So uh, I'm not sure it's equal protection. But uh, for various reasons that I won't get into, but your point is well taken. The system should be throwing that vote out. Okay, and, and it's, yeah. what what about challenging it on the the overreach issue? So you have secretaries of state, or you have um, state courts, supreme courts, as in the case of of Pennsylvania, uh, in violation of I believe it's uh, Article One, Section Four of the Constitution, that only state legislatures. Uh, can determine the time, date, and manner of the election. And in the case of, I believe, well, there were hundreds of, uh, just on the eve of the election, a hundred changes made, uh, uh, you know, to how the election was to be conducted in various states. Some of them may have been 
uh, determined by the state legislature, but in many cases, they were secretaries of state do, making these changes. That's not constitutional. I agree. I agree. There's a little wiggle room. There are probably a few things that are so minor and uh, uh, administrative, uh, you know, that the legislature doesn't have to tell you what, where you put your desk or your computer if you're a voting official. But your point is well taken that most of these changes should have been made by the uh, legislature. Uh, the Supreme Court of the United States has already said that Pennsylvania couldn't do what they did. I don't think that uh, the governor and the secretary of state in Georgia had the power to consent uh, to Stacey Abrams' suit to change the way you match a signature. That's not None of those people have any right to do that. They can talk all they want about some legal challenge, but the legislature has to do that. I'm sorry. And you're absolutely right. You can go through, I think in Wisconsin, 100,000 voters were told, oh, you don't have to come in and show ID like the law says, because you're afraid of COVID, you can stay home and we'll still count your vote. Now that's another one. Once again, an end run around uh, what the legislature has uh, provided. If, if the legislature wants to give people an excuse that they don't have to show ID because they're afraid of COVID and want to stay home, well, the legislature can do that. But they didn't do it in Wisconsin. And there we are. Uh, in Pennsylvania, you know, again, we had the predated ballot issue. Um, and because the Supreme Court had already suggested that anything after November 3rd would not be counted, we have a tremendous, tremendous evidence uh, especially through this postal carrier, that there was an effort to make it look like these ballots got there by election day when they when they really didn't. I think there are 109,000 ballots that look like they really didn't get there by election day, but were dated by somebody in odd ways, often with the request date after the return date, if I'm getting that right, of the ballot. So I think we have we have tremendous evidence here of voting irregularities or voting voting procedures not pros not put in place by the legislatures and i think the proper remedy for that is to nullify the vote if it looks like it's if it's substantial enough uh nullify the vote and um and there we are and then this thing should go should go to the at least the the state uh, caucus of that state in Congress. Right. Well, you have, you just mentioned Wisconsin, <laughs> 10 electoral votes, Pennsylvania, 20 electoral votes, Georgia, 16 electoral votes. Uh, if those are th uh, flipped to the Trump side, that gets him past the 270. He's in. What happens if the, this would be my final question, if those states certify but the Supreme Court says, no, those are irredeemably compromised, those elections. What happens then? Well, let's say the Supreme Court rules that way. I think the remedy is not necessarily to say that Trump won. That's why I'm saying I think the remedy is to just, th unfortunately, to throw out the vote, fortunately or unfortunately. Now, what I don't know, and I just don't know enough about this because this is, does if neither party gets 270, does that put the whole thing in the House of Representatives? I would say yes. In other words, let's say Richard's correct here. You got at least 30 votes. Let's take 30 away from, uh, anyway, uh, Biden gets below 270. Let's just say that, however he does it. Now, neither side has 270. I think the remedy then is for the whole thing to go to the House of Representatives. 
And in that case, I think 26 states have caucuses that are controlled by Republicans, 24 by Democrats. Um, and you don't, it has nothing to do with the size of the electoral votes. California's caucus counts as one, Rhode Island's counts as one. Uh, so um, I think that's the remedy, and that's Trump's path. Uh, and what you need to have is you need to have court decisions that find there's irregularity in, in enough votes to go below 270. Um, uh, count me just for whatever reason as being pessimistic. It's going to take a lot of guts by the Supreme Court to do that. You are right that Giuliani's just teeing this thing up to go back to the Supreme Court. He doesn't care that he loses in Pennsylvania. He knows what the court thinks of the Pennsylvania situation. So he's happy to just get up there real quickly. Um, and, and and maybe he can do that in a couple other states where he tees this thing up and gets to the Supreme Court. So, But it's going to take a whole lot of uh, intellectual cojones for the Supreme Court to say, you know, sorry, guys, you didn't run this election fairly. We're not going to say Trump won. We're not going to say Biden won. You can't say anybody won on this screwed up election and let's uh, turn it let's uh, turn it over to the house and now what we have is unfortunately we have the looming specter still of boarded up buildings because everybody knows that if trump were to have won this on election night cities would have been devastated and tifa was just getting ready to move on these things and that's probably what would happen in the case of a supreme court decision and uh overturning uh the election and bring, throwing it to the House. So like I say, there's a lot of intimidation going on. We have almost, everybody loves to, on the left, loves to compare everything to Hitler's Germany. But there's some Hitler's Germany going on. Remember, they had brown shirts and they were going out and busting everybody up on Kristallnacht and everybody, and I don't like Hitler comparisons, by the way. But if there is a Hitler comparison, it ain't coming from the conservatives here. They're peacefully protesting. Uh, there are other people, there, there aren't, conservatives aren't tearing down uh, buildings in the downtown areas of these places and setting things afire and so forth and so on. So I think uh, we're at a real crossroads here uh, in terms of faith in our institutions. I think it's gonna be very difficult for to win the trust of a lot of the electorate in this thing. I predict, I may be wrong, but I predict that the system is not going to have enough guts to, uh, to say, look, this is, let's face it, this was a terrible election. All indications are that uh, you cannot say who won because there was no systematic check of, for instance, of signatures in various places. Poll watchers were kept out, votes, uh, you know, Procedures were changed by without the consent of the legislature. You have enough wrongdoing here to throw this thing out. Uh, will it happen? Well, I'd love to be a happy jack and say, yes, it's going to happen, but I don't think it is. Um, so um, uh, that's what we got, I think. I hope I'm wrong, Richard. Well, uh, we'll keep a, a, a close eye because uh, if this evidence is to come forward and, and – uh, uh, Cindy Powell, uh, Trump's uh, lawyer, Michael Flynn's lawyer, 
says she it's coming all the evidence is coming like a through a fire hose so we'll, we hopefully we'll know one way or the other they can't keep teasing us with this uh, we'll know in, in the next uh, day or so john how do we get a copy of postgate how the washington post betrayed deep throat covered up watergate and began today's partisan advocacy journalism well uh, richard postgatebook.com postgatebook.com and i have a lot of articles on there talking about the in addition to my book the the biased media, which is our main, you know, our main problem now. And by the way, in terms of Sidney Powell, all we need is one person who can talk about the Dominion voting system actually rigging the election, and then this thing's a new ball game. So I hope she comes up with that witness. We haven't talked about that, but if she gets that witness, more power to her. Uh, then this thing picks on a new cast. But yes, postgatebook.com. I don't want to step on my promotion of my book, postgatebook.com. John, always a pleasure. Thank you. Richard, great talking to you. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>